I never cease to be amazed at how God can work through anyone who truly gives their heart to Him. This week we're going to talk with two women whom God has used to produce a wonderful book that defines and defends biblical Christianity. One is a former cultural Christian, the other a former Jehovah's Witness. Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. This week I am delighted to have two very special ladies with me as our guests. They're from Lexington, Kentucky, and their names are Jean Eason and Arpa Hicks. Ladies, welcome to Christ in Prophecy and to the great state of Texas. We bring you greetings from Kentucky. Okay. Good to be here. Uh, I understand both of you have been to Texas before. Yes. But never to Dallas area, right? No, never. First time. Well, we're glad to have you here. In fact, I always love to go up to Kentucky because, you know, here it's kind of flat and barren, and up there it's so beautiful, all those trees. I just love it. And, of course, we have a lot of supporters in the state of Kentucky, as you well know. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, folks, uh, in this program we're going to be discussing with these ladies a wonderful book that they have written that is titled, Bird's Eye View of the Bible. And the subtitle is, Each One, Teach One. But before we get into a discussion with them about their book, I want to read a scripture that's found in Second Chronicles 16.9, and it reads as follows. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. Isn't that an amazing statement? Just think about it. Our Creator is constantly seeking people who have given their hearts completely to Him, so that He might support them, encourage them, and empower them to serve Him. Well, I can assure you that those words apply to the two ladies who are our guests today. I have known both of them for a long time, and I know that they are anointed teachers of God's Word. Tell us, ladies, what was your purpose in putting this book together? Well, the purpose is to give an easy-to-read overview of, or a bird's-eye view of the whole Bible. Okay. And it's uh, also to let people know that uh, the Bible has, God has absolute standards. And hopefully anyone that reads this is going to uh, come to realize the importance of um, developing a personal relationship with the Lord and perhaps be wanting to share it with a friend where they read it to them, give them the book or whatever. And then we also feel like it could be really useful in the church as a, a book to use in Bible studies for evangelism. And well, I can say I can affirm that first purpose that you mentioned is really needed in the church today, an overview of the Bible, because as you so well know, both of you know, uh, we have a famine of the Word in the church today. So many churches, the pastors are up preaching modern psychology. They're not preaching the Bible. The average Christian today is not rooted in the fundamentals of the faith. Uh, and they need an overview of the Bible, yeah. uh, one that includes both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So I congratulate you on providing this tremendous overview because that's exactly what it is. Let me ask you another question. How did the two of you happen to decide to collaborate on writing a book? I mean, how did you get together in the first place and, and decide to write a book? Well, the truth of the matter is, Dave, 
I had this on my heart many years ago, and I think at one time I even asked you to write. I was going to say, I know, I know you had it on your heart because you pestered me constantly with it, and I, I, I'm so glad to see it finally in print. Go ahead. Well, I took a class making disciples about three years ago at our church, and that dream was rekindled in my heart. Yeah. It was burning, and I had to do something about it. And I just felt like the Lord was saying to me, you can do this. And I said, well, Lord, I need help. <laughs> So, so I, how did you get together well, with ARPA? Well, I stepped out in faith first and asked these four ladies if they would be willing to help me once a week. And they were excited about it. And then I prayed, well, Lord, I need somebody steeped in the Word of God. So I asked ARPA, and I didn't dream that she would come on board. But when she did, she was icing on the cake. Well, I know she's been a teacher of the Bible for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I was a bit reluctant for a while because my husband was ill. And I was just a little bit um, concerned about committing myself sure. to the project. but. I was very happy. Well, it was board. a beautiful collaboration because I tell you, this book is just wonderful. I, the the way it's laid out, the illustrations in it, the way it's organized, it's just a wonderful book. And I I, I can see that the Holy Spirit's anointing was more. In fact, look at the cover of that. It has some some uh, uh, berries on there with some leaves. Uh, what what is the significance of that? The, the berries represent the Trinity, concept okay. of the Trinity, and the leaves of twelve apostles, and that was the idea of my grandson. Phil <laughs> well, that's great. I I just love it. It's <laughs> it's so beautifully. And let me ask you something else. The subtitle says, "Each one teach one." Now, how did you come up, and what what is the purpose of that? What does that mean? Well, the Lord gave me a, a, a picture of a banquet table, Dave. Imagine banquet table being covered with all this beautiful silverware and china and the Christians are all sitting around and they're having a wonderful conversation, enjoying the fellowship and having a great meal. And then just imagine that being cured off and you have these wonderful Bible studies. And Christians have been enjoying the riches of mm-hmm. these things for many years and, and, and really studying the Bible for years and years. And until then, you look at the walls and they're glass all the way around. And there's people standing out there knee deep. They would like what you have, but they can't bring themselves to the idea of opening the door and walking in. Okay. And the Christians sitting inside with all this information, they can't bring themselves to open those doors and invite them in. But what if you gave me the name of one of those people standing out there and you said, go call on my friend. And I took this little tool and I spent an hour a week with him. In 10 weeks, he would have the fundamentals of the Bible. He would be discipled at the same time. And you've made a good friend. And you make a good point there because when I read this, the first thing that occurred to me is this is not only something for an individual to read, but it would be a great manual to use as teaching other people. This is a great teaching manual. So I congratulate you on that. Uh, well, the first chapter is entitled, Why I Believe the Bible? And I think that's the where you believe uh, begin. I mean, why in the world should I even study the Bible? Why should I believe the Bible? And uh, I can't think of a better way to start. So this is your beginning, and what is the fundamental point you try to make in that chapter? Well, I guess the main part we want to make in that is that the Bible is, it has no equal. And we wanted to establish its uh, uniqueness and its uh, dependability. How it stands apart from all other books. And that it's the Word of God? Yes. Do you give evidences in that chapter that it really is the Word of God? Yes, we do. Well, like what? Like uh, the historical evidence, the um, archaeological, uh, the number of writers uh, that put it (laughs) together. All come together, yeah. All come together. 
Dominion. How about the fulfillment of Bible prophecy? Oh, and that is a biggie. <laughs> that is a biggie. Well, let me ask you another question, uh, and that is that in the second chapter of the book is about the second coming of Jesus. And that surprised me. You know, you would think that if you're going to do an overview of the Bible that uh, uh, you would leave that for the last chapter, the second coming of Jesus. Why did you decide to move it up to the very uh, front of the, of the book? Well, because the second coming is going to usher in the new heaven and the new earth. So what if the person, after once they've come to realize that, well, the Bible is true, they need hope. They need something to look to for themselves. What okay. are they going to get out of this? All right. And they can learn that they're going to be blessed by a new heaven and a new earth, that God has a wonderful plan for them. So once they get interested, and we whet their thirst for the study of the Bible, then perhaps they'll be willing to get into the Word of God and to finish the book. <laughs> Well, you know, as a teacher of Bible prophecy, I was just thrilled that you had that up near the front uh, because a lot of people just totally ignore it. But you're right. It gives hope uh, to the unbeliever. It gives them hope beyond the, uh, the, the tragedies of this world and the stresses of this world. And for the believer, it should be a motivator for evangelism and also for holy living. Uh, often pastors tell me they think that, you know, Bible prophecy is sort of pie in the sky, but it's not. It has to do with the here and now. Well, welcome back to our discussion with Gene Eason and Arpa Hicks, authors of a book called The Bird's Eye View of the Bible. Ladies, we discussed the first chapter about the Bible and why it's the Word of God. Your second chapter is about the second coming of Jesus. Your third chapter is entitled Making Reservations. And I looked at that and I thought, making reservations for what? Well, you know, Dave, if a person is totally unfamiliar with the Bible, he doesn't understand church terms and biblical terms like being saved. Right. And so he needs to know what he must do in order to live in this new heavens and the new earth. How is he going to make reservations? He needs to know what his requirements are. Right. So this chapter covers that. And once he understands this, then he can make a decision to to make a plan to live in God's kingdom. You know, the point that you made right there at the beginning is really a good one. I was talking to a pastor the other day, and he said, David, one of the, our, our society has become so secular and so pagan that he said, uh, I, there's many evidences of that, of course, but he said one increasingly, this was a guy who was really involved in one-on-one -on -one evangelism. He said, I go up to people and say, are you saved? And they say, saved from what? Uh -huh. I exactly. mean, they don't even exactly. know they're lost. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of secular society we live in today. And you know, one of the things that, that I was really thrilled about in, in your third chapter is that you mentioned a word which is very seldom ever heard anymore, the word sin. You actually talked about people being sinners. You know, it, it, today people talk about bad choices. They talk about unwise decisions. Why is it important to talk about sin? Well, sin is what separates us from God. And all of us are separated from God by sin because we are born with a heart problem. But God is the only one that can provide a heart transplant. When you say we're born with a heart problem, you're talking about we're born with a sin nature, right? Yes, we're born with a sin nature, a bent toward sin. Yes. Yes. And people need to know they're sinners. Right. But so often today people are just afraid to say that. Yes, and they just think they've made a mistake or made, made a bad choice. I, I, I think Ray Comfort, who's a great evangelist, has said often that one of the best ways to do that is just lead them through the Ten Commandments. 
Have you ever committed adultery in your mind as well as physically? What about in your mind? Jesus says if you do this in your mind. Uh, you know, have you ever gossiped? Have you, just go right through the Ten Commandments and say, now, you know, this is separating you from God. Yes. But people need to be confronted with the fact that there are sinners. Yes. And so often that is not done today. Chapter 4, let's go over to it for a moment. In chapter 4, you had, oh, I love this. What happens when you die? And, you know, that's probably the number one question that uh, people have of, about the future, about life in general. The atheist's answer is nothing. You're dead and you're dead. Uh, can you imagine that your greatest hope is that there's nothing after life? That's their greatest hope. But what, what do you have to say about what happens when you die? Well, I think the most important uh, thing to emphasize, uh, for a person to realize is that at physical death you don't cease to exist. After this comes judgment. So the atheists are in for a big surprise. Yes. <laughs> After that comes judgment. So the, your point is we are going to face the Lord God Almighty one of these days and we're going to have to answer for the sins that we have committed. And it isn't going to make any difference whether we believed it or not. It's going to happen. Yes. So what is the good news for the believer when that happens? The good news is that God's got a solution for the problem in Jesus Christ. And? Those who have accepted Him, their sins are forgiven, and they are forgotten. God will never hold them against them, right? right. And they're right. forgiven. They're washed clean. Uh, but for the sinner who has never received Jesus Christ, the one who rebels against Christ, it's a whole different situation. Yes. They're going to be held responsible. We're all going to stand before God who's going to hold us responsible. That's right. And you know, Dave, one thing that's universal, we all know that we're going to die someday. But then what? Can they be sure? Can they be sure that they're not going to continue living? And every person watching this program right now needs to ask himself that, right. that question. That's right. If I were to die today, and any of us could, I mm -hmm. mean, I could be hit by a car, drop dead from a heart attack, whatever. Mm -hmm. Most people think they're going to live forever. Mm -hmm. Well, they just need to look at the statistics. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, am I ready to meet my Maker? Mm -hmm. And so often people say, well, they, they respond to that by saying, well, you know, I haven't, I've got this problem, this problem, this problem, this, but I'm so much better than my next door neighbor. Mm hmm. Does God grade on the curve? <laughs> Absolutely not. And just because they believe nothing's going to happen to them, and that's in, that doesn't make it true. Yeah, God doesn't grade on the curve. He grades no. on the cross. Right. And uh, we're all sinners. We all need a Savior. And He has sent that Savior, His one and only begotten Son. Mm -hmm. And we're urging people to take that seriously. Now, yes. in your next two chapters, 5 and 6, uh, they're closely related. One is called Knowing God. The other is titled, Your Personal Relationship with God. Now, those are pretty closely related. Is it possible to know God? Is it possible to have a personal relationship with God? I mean, isn't God sort of aloof and distant and uh, not really concerned about our problems and our needs? We know God created us for fellowship. In John 17, 3, it says that this means everlasting life. They're taken in knowledge of you, the only true God, and the one whom you sent forth, Christ Jesus. So if you look at that scripture carefully, it means everlasting life to know, to know Him. Right. So how can we know Him? We can know Him through the Word of God as we read. We learn about His character. We learn about His expectations. We learn about His love and His concern for us. And through prayer, we can, we can talk to Him just like I'm talking to you now. And He says to be still and know that I am God. Well, basically what you're saying is that you get to know God the way you get to know anybody. The only right. way I can get to know you is I've got to spend some time with you. Take Billy Graham, for example. I know a lot about Billy Graham. I've read biographies of Billy Graham. I've seen him speak and so forth. But I've never met Billy Graham. Mm -hmm. I've never talked with Billy Graham. I know about him, but I don't know him. Right. 
Now, see, I know you because I've known you for many years. But to get to know somebody, you've got to spend time with them. You've got to find out what they like, what they dislike. You've got to find out all these. And the only way you can come to know God is you've got to spend time mm-hmm. with Him. So you do that the way you've talked. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do it by uh, prayer mm-hmm. in His Word, fellowshipping with other people who know Him, worshiping. Mm-hmm. And so you really can come to know God personally. But there is a lot of confusion about who God is. Yes. Who is God the Father? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? And we can learn from Scripture what God's revealed about Himself, even though His mystery, that still remains a mystery. Yes. We can know what's revealed. Well, sure. Uh, 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 you know, anybody, uh, if we could come to know God perfectly, He wouldn't be God because He's above us as humans in terms of our human comprehension. But we can come to know Him as a loving God, a personal God. In fact, that's one of the things that sets Christianity apart. Because this is revealed in the Scriptures. That's right. It sets it apart from all other religions is that we have a personal God. Mm -hmm. Islam does not have a personal God. Hinduism does not have a personal God. The gods are aloof and distant. But we have a personal God. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite Scriptures is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time. Cast all your anxiety upon Him because He cares for you. Mm -hmm. He cares for you. It's a personal God. I love that Scripture. And Mm -hmm. I love these two chapters because in these two chapters you really show people how to know God, mm-hmm. and how to have a personal relationship with Him. And I congratulate you on the great job that you did well, you in know, we chapters. Look, we look at creation, and we can see that He's almighty. And we see that He's all-powerful, and He has all knowledge, or He couldn't have created. That's right. So, and, and then it's through Bible study that we learn His will, and He speaks to us, and it's through prayer we speak to Him. Right. Well, chapter 7, you start talking about <clears throat> beware of taking the wrong path destructive heresies, false teachings. The Bible says in the end times we're going to live in an age of deception. And boy, are we ever living in an age of deception today. But I tell you what, I want to postpone our discussion of this to next week because I want to invite you two to come back next week and talk with us about this because I know that both of you have had some experience with this, personal experience, you as a cultural Christian, you as a former Jehovah's Witness. So I'm going to have you come back next week and discuss your personal testimony with us. And when you do that, I want you to talk a little bit about this chapter Mm -hmm. and some of the things that you have to say in here. Because again, we live in an age of deception and uh, we can easily be deceived. I remember one time, Gene, you told me that uh, you found in your experience of knocking doors as a Jehovah's Witness that the average Jehovah's Witness can take the average Baptist, Church of Christ, whatever, Methodist, and turn them into a theological pretzel in two minutes flat. Yes. Because the Jehovah's Witness has been trained. Mm -hmm. They know what they believe. They know why they believe it. And the average Christian has the foggiest idea, first of all, what they believe and Mm -hmm. how to defend it and and, and how to find it and prove it in the Word of God. So you know firsthand, don't you? Yes. (laughs) Okay. So we are all subject to deception, all of us. And we the only way we're going to be able to protect ourselves against deception through the Word of God. We've got to know it. We've got to be able to test everything by it. So next week, the Lord willing, we will be back to discuss with both of you your testimonies and uh, also uh, this particular chapter. But in just a moment, we're going to continue going through your book.
Welcome back to our discussion with Gene Neeson and Arpa Hicks, authors of the book entitled Bird's Eye View of the Bible. It is a book designed for both students and teachers of God's Word. Ladies, let's move on to chapter 8. Chapter 8 says, The Worldview and You. Now, what in the world is a worldview? It's how we view and see the world that we live in. How we make decisions. We make decisions. And the Bible tells us that we live in a fractured, fallen world. It also tells us that the reason we have sin is because people have a sin problem. And God is the only one, again, in the transplant business. He, and He has provided a solution for this in Jesus. Amen. You know, uh, the average Christian doesn't even know what a worldview is, but there is a Christian worldview that's outlined by the Bible. It's so different from the worldview. The worldview yes. is the view of humanism. And it teaches that man is basically good and can be trusted and that uh, there is no... Uh, hardcore evil in the world. The Bible teaches just the opposite. Man is basically fallen. Man is basically evil. The world is an evil place. That we're in a battle, a cosmic battle with Satan. So this concept of worldview is really an important chapter in your book. And for that reason, uh, let me ask you, what, what do you consider to be some of the challenges to the Christian worldview today? Well, I think the greatest challenge, Dave, is living the Christian life. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to do it and to practice it. And the problem with today is that so many people are not grounded in the Word of the God. And if they're not hanging around church and people who's trying to live it, then I think Satan's going to pick them off right. pretty quickly. Well, you're so right. Uh, uh, living the Christian worldview is so important. And that's what the world really looks at. You, you can talk to them all day long about the Bible, but they're looking at you and how you're living and whether you're really living a Christ-like life. Mm -hmm. And that means more to them, I think, than anything. If, if you begin to do that and uh, they see the blessings upon your life, I think they're going to want what you've got. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you something else. On page 91, you have a statement that I want to uh, quote here. It's in this chapter on worldview. And I want to get your, uh, expand it for us a little bit. I, I really caught my eye. Page 91, you say, Truth is not like clay that each person can mold as he or she wants. Truth is like the law of gravity. What, is, what do you mean by that? Well, there is absolute truth. Today, we're, there are a lot of people are teaching that there's no such thing as absolute fact, truth. most people. <laughs> and I can believe that I can fly and jump off of a building, but that is not going to stop me from hitting the ground. So, truth, it's an absolute truth. There is absolute truth, but, uh, and the Bible outlines that absolute truth. Like, for example, in the Ten Commandments, each one of those constitute absolute truth. You know what the difference, though, between the law of gravity and absolute moral truth is that when you violate a, a, a natural law, there is an immediate consequence. If I stick my hand in fire, I'm burned. If I step off a building, I fall. But there's a difference when it comes to the fundamental laws of morality. Uh, when you commit adultery, uh, you might not be caught immediately. You might be able to continue with that for some time and have pleasure in it. But the Bible teaches sooner or later it's going to be discovered. Sooner or later it will be revealed. Sooner or later it will be shouted from the housetops. There are, there are consequences of the violation of moral laws just as are consequences of the violation of physical laws. And they go on and on. Oh, on and on. Yes. Yes. It's not a, an immediate consequence that's over. Yeah. Uh, my co former colleague, Dennis Pollock, used to talk a lot about this. He said, you know, if, if the moral laws were like the physical laws, then every time you violate a moral law, God would hit you on the head with a hammer. <laughs> this big hand would come down. But it, that wouldn't be living by faith. 
Living by faith means you've got to believe God's words. You've got to believe that the consequences are there. And most people don't. And so they get in trouble, a lot of trouble. In fact, at a very early age, we end up with people with terribly messed up lives because they're violating the fundamental moral laws, which are absolute laws. Yes. So I appreciate the fact that you're willing to take the stand of saying that there is absolute truth. Because I want to tell you, most people, even pastors, will not take that stand today because the number one value in America today is tolerance. Tolerance. Got any comments about that? Well, you know, you can believe all you want to that you have a God within that's going to guide your life. And you can believe that if I could go by this gut feeling that I have, then I can do and practice and live the way I want to. But that doesn't change the fact that God is the only one, the only one in the universe that's all-knowing, all-powerful, and can be everywhere at the same time. So just forget about being your own God. (laughs) And yet... The New Age movement says, look within, find mm-hmm. the God within, and, and the Bible says, hey, that's all rotten within. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so it's just the exact opposite of what the Bible yeah. teaches. Well, chapter 9, the church and you. The church and you. You know, I, I think this is important because today I'm running across more and more people who feel like that they don't need a church. Yes. All they need is a Bible study group or TV. I'll watch a church service on TV on Sunday morning, shout hallelujah, maybe hum along with a few songs, listen yeah. to a sermon. Uh so many people today feel like church is kind of irrelevant. Do mm-hmm. people really need to be in a church, involved in a church? Oh, Go ahead. Excuse me. They do need to be in a, ch- in a church. They need a support group. They need a place where they can learn what the Bible teaches. And they need a place where they can praise our Creator God and worship Him for what He's done for us in, pri- in prom- providing a solution mm-hmm to the problem that we have. What were you going to say, Jim? Well, I was going to say that God designed the church, you know, to preach and teach and make disciples Amen. and to Amen. love one another. And if He designed it, and if it's His will for us to be there, why not go? Well, we should be there. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I have so many people today who tell me, well, it's just so, people, they, they, they're so imperfect and, and they're so hard to get along with and they don't act like Christians. And Hey, that's part of being a member mm-hmm. of a church is learning how to love people despite their faults. I mean, that's part of it. Yes. A church is not a, 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 an organization of perfect people. It's people who have submitted their lives to the Lord. They've been forgiven, but they're still working on problems in their lives. We don't, mm-hmm. should not expect perfection when we're looking for a church, right? Right. right. It's also a hospital for sinners. Amen. <laughs> and we tend to become like those people that we associate with. Well, that's true. That's true. We desperately need that fellowship. We need that we encouragement. We, and in fact, Hebrews 10, 25 says, as you see the signs of the times pointing to the soon return of Jesus, even more so, you need to be there uh, when the church meets to have that fellowship and that mutual encouragement. And it's going to become more and more true today as we come under greater and greater persecution as Christians. Yes. You know, uh, this brings me to my, fa- my favorite part of your book. My favorite part is the last part. Transformed lives. It's the longest part. And I tell you, I read that. I was so excited because what you do is you talk about lives that have been totally transformed by their encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have in there the testimonies of a drug addict, a homeless man, a pregnant unmarried college student, a homosexual, a new age musician, a highly educated skeptic, a Buddhist, a Jew, a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, a cultural Christian. All of those. I mean, it just goes on and on. I think they've got 12 testimonies there. Uh, Arpa, uh, your testimony is there as a cultural Christian. Jane, yours is there as a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, Both of you were totally transformed 
by your encounters with Jesus. And next week, I want you to come back and tell your story. Will you do that? Love to. Folks, I want to invite you to be back with us next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. The book, Bird's Eye View of the Bible, explains the foundational truths of the Bible in an easy-to-understand way and emphasizes the importance of developing a personal relationship with God. This book will help readers understand God's absolute standards, differentiating right from wrong. It will increase one's understanding of God's Word and will open the door to conversations with those unfamiliar with the Bible and what it teaches. Chapter titles include Why Believe the Bible? What Happens When You Die? Beware of taking the wrong path. Transformed lives. A new heaven and a new earth. And the church in you. Order Bird's Eye View of the Bible for $10 plus shipping by calling the number on the screen or simply order online at lamblion.com. Consider getting extra copies for your church library, pastor, and friends. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus.